You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, happy Father's Day. Let's try that again. Happy Father's Day. Yeah, I said that earlier to a lady. Uh, I mean, so what happened was she said, Happy Father's Day, Pastor Ryan. I said, Happy Father's Day to you. Wait, that didn't go right. Uh, when you say things you don't mean to say, you know, I mean, I got dropped off at the airport not too long ago. Somebody drops me off at the airport. Have a safe flight. I'm like, you too. Wait, no, I didn't mean to say that. Uh, sometimes we do that. So uh, welcome to North Valley. Those of you that are new, my name is Ryan. Uh, serve as a lead pastor, founding pastor. Uh, this September, we're coming up on nine years of starting this church. We're excited about today. And so I recently was out of town last weekend. Uh, Pastor Lee Stevenson, good friend of mine, uh, preached. So I heard he did a great job and uh, glad that you guys are here. Some of you made the shift from second service to the third service. So thanks for doing that. I encourage you to keep that up. Um, For me, I was on a, a, a vacation plus a study break. So, uh, we were up in Bryce Canyon uh, for just having a good time of exploring the canyon. I got a picture of some of my family. Um, here's a picture of my daughter, Maya. She is 10 years old, just turned 10. Uh, we, sweet little kiddo we adopted uh, years ago. And this is my beautiful wife, Leslie. And you always got to say that, right? Beautiful wife, because that's, you know, that's, that's what you do. But she is my beautiful wife, and I'm thankful uh, for my, my, my family. Let me tell you a quick story about Maya we, as a dad moment, as it is Father's Day. Um, and I understand we got uh, fathers in the room. We got biological fathers. I call them bio fathers. That's kind of like cool adoption language because I'm an adoptive dad. So we talk about bio fathers and you have adoptive uh, uh, dads or uh, you have stepdads or what I like to call them instead of a stepdad, call them bonus dads. Uh, so you get that. Uh, then we have fathers of the faith, uh, folks that have played a spiritual impact in your life that has served as a fatherly figure. Uh, and then we have what I call fill-in fathers at the church. These are folks that have literally kind of stepped in for a family member or a, a friend and, uh, and kind of filled in the role of a fatherly uh, role. Um, a lot of empty nesters are doing this all around the country. They're literally becoming the fathers uh, of, these, of children and, uh, that are in need of that. And so we want to honor all these fathers. But we also have another group of folks that need to be honored, and these are the spiritual fathers. Uh, these are folks that have kind of played a fatherly role in a spiritual sense, like a mentor. Uh, We have a number of folks in our church that have played a fatherly role um, for kids that don't have a dad, uh, their staff, or their volunteers in our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, and played a fatherly role. So let's just celebrate and thank all the fathers that are serving right now. Well, let me tell you about a dad moment with me. So little Maya Bear, um, we're hiking down through Bryce Canyon, and, and we visited Zion like uh, maybe a year ago. And if you ask me which one's prettier, Zion or Bryce, I don't know, maybe Zion. But Bryce was cool. So we go hike down into Bryce Canyon, and it's like a three-mile loop. And it, it's, I'm, I know it's hot here in Phoenix, but it was hot there. Not like Phoenix hot, oven hot, but it was hot. So we're there, and... Uh, we tell little Maya Bear, who, if your kid's like my kid, 
Like, she just wants to know, like, when's the next screen time? When can she get on electronics? And so we're like, well, this is like a three-mile loop. And she's like, how long is that? Is that like three days? And I'm like, no, it's three miles. Well, is that like th- 30 hours? No, it's three miles. I don't know how long. So we're hiking down. My wife's like on cloud nine, so pumped that we're hiking through Bryce Canyon. And she's an outdoors enthusiast like me, and we have a ton of fun doing this kind of stuff. So we've been long-awaited trip. You know, we got the camper, and we went up and brought, hauled it all the way up to Utah and camped out, and then Ruby's campground, and then hiked down into Bryce, and then it's kind of like started going downhill. Like, Maya's not having fun. She's hot. She's complaining. And so, like, it gets so bad that I'm kind of like, you know what? Like, sweetie, you go ahead, and you hike ahead. Maya and I will stay here. And we'll just kind of take, go our own pace, uh, 10-year-old pace, and I'll work this out. You just go enjoy this beautiful creation. Go hike your way. So me and Maya are, are hiking, and I'm, I'm the son of a psychiatrist, so my dad's a shrink. And uh, so I'm like, what could I do? And I'm like, you know, head game. So I'm like, I'm going to do reverse psychology on her. So I literally say to her, oh, I can't take it. I have to rest go get your mother, go get your mother and tell her that dad couldn't make it out of the canyon. And literally, 10-year-old, like, clicks. She goes, dad, what you have to do is you have to hike like this, and then you have to drink your water, and then you have to just keep going, dad. Come on. And she sounded like a little, like, cheerleader getting me going. And the whole time, I'm like, I just can't do it. Go get your mother. No, dad, you got this. Next thing you know, Leslie's on top of, finished up the, the loop. She's on top. She looks down and she said that she could see Maya running up the hill. It's okay. You can make it, Dad. I've seen it. I've already been there. She runs down. Drink water like this. Sit in the shade like this. So reverse psychology works for those of you dads that need to know something like that. (laughs) Try it out. So uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to be jumping into uh, the Psalms. We're in the Psalms this summer. And Psalms 55 is where we're going to be. It's one of my favorite Psalms. Um, I love the backstory of the Old Testament and the scriptures. And so if you want a backstory, like kind of to get the backstory of Psalms 55, you would have to look at like 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. And so what I want to do is I'm just going to basically give to you kind of the backstory of Psalms 55. And I've titled this message, uh, When There's No One, when, when, When No One Is There For You, God Is. Uh, David is a, uh, a classic case study of an incredible influential leader, um, but had some serious setbacks. Uh, one of the areas that he had a major setback was his family life. Um, David, uh, when we read this psalm in Psalms 55, this is actually the most stressful season of his life. Most stressful. And yet he's at the height of all his success. Uh, he's been reigning and ruling as a king of Israel. Uh, he's a local legend uh, and even beyond local. Uh, he, by Old Testament scholars, would say, uh, would have been called the most important king that the nation ever had. Uh, his kingdom kind of epitomized uh, the prosperity and the power and the influence of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he was a powerful king. Yet, with every great leader, there's always some setbacks. Uh, I like to say, uh, where there's strength in a leader, you're going to find some shadows. 
because everybody's got shadows. They've got areas of their life that are kind of nobody wants to talk about, nobody wants to pay attention to or look at. Well, let me tell you about some of the shadows of this great leader who is a father at this point in time, and he's in big trouble. Um, he wasn't the best dad. You see, his daughter, uh, Tamar, uh, she, she was sexually abused, and David didn't handle that right. Like, as a dad, like, you protect your kids. You, you always protect your kids, and you do what's right for your kids. David, um, this one daughter, Tamar, she, she was sexually abused by somebody else in the family, and David didn't do anything. It's an incredible, uh, horrendous sin to be passive with something that important. And one son, Absalom, becomes incredibly infuriated with pain, frustration, anger. And instead of getting better, confronting his dad correctly, he gets deeply bitter and rages on the inside. And then he falls into this evil trap to basically retaliate as most people would. Like when you get angry, when you get hurt, uh, Absalom decides what he does is he kind of tries to win over the people of, of Israel, starts to think and sees all he sees with his dad is the father's faults, nothing good. And so his whole world is obsessed uh, uh, with seeing uh, David as basically he needs to step down as the leader of the family, plus the leader of the nation of, the Israel, of Israel. And so what he does is he kind of plots and plans to basically overthrow his dad, telling him he's a loser, an old man who's lost his mind and is a, and is a weak leader. Absalom does this by forming an allied relationship with David's most trusted advisor. He wins over the hearts of the people and David finds out why he's in the castle, if you will, in Jerusalem, that his son and his best friend, uh, David's best friend, is on the way to Jerusalem, not only to come and overthrow the king's council and the armies, but to kill David. Imagine that, Father's Day news. Your boy is not only turned on you, your boy's coming to kill you. And then finding out your best friend in life that you've done life with, you've worshiped together, you work together, you walk together, you did this life together, has turned against you and is coming to take you out. That's where we pick up in Psalms 55. This is David on the run. He's in hiding. He's moving uh, to try to find some higher ground above his uh, sorrows and his desperate situation. So let's read... Uh, uh, Psalms 55, 1 through 12. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain to you kind of there's four phases of this betrayal or deep hardship that I think most people go through in life. And so David is wounded as a father. He's got this father wound and he's pretty normal and he gets deeply uh, 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 in, in pain. And we first thing we see is that he's uh, in this phase of frustration. Uh, the first phase of betrayal is frustration. In verse 1, he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from me, uh, my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in, in my complaint, and I moan. Uh, other translations uh, have different words for moan. In other words, he is just agonizing and crying out. He's in desperate situation. Uh, he's deeply frustrated. 
I don't know what emotion that you feel uh, intense inside of your heart and mind, but for this man, he's deeply frustrated. Uh, we don't know frustration like David knows frustration. Our frustration, I did some research, said that 80% of Americans struggle with frustration on a daily basis. We're constantly frustrated about something. Maybe it's the major emotion that we feel a lot of times. But it's not from betrayal. Actually, what frustration that you and I feel, according to research, is the, a lot of our frustration comes down to technology. We get frustrated things don't download fast enough. We get frustrated that Wi-Fi is not working. We can't get connected fast enough. I mean, recently with my kids, um, they saw some movie or something, and they said, Dad... Um, I got a question for you. What is a telephone booth? I'm like, what, what did you say? Um, well, we were watching this show and there was a telephone booth. And what is the yellow book? I'm like, there is no yellow book. It's called Yellow Pages. Uh, then another question came to me. Uh, what, what was life like before Wi-Fi, Dad? Uh, today in our culture, our frustration comes from not having uh, digital connectivity because we're all so digitally connected. For David, his frustration was far greater than some technological problem. It's personal. Uh, he's experienced immense betrayal. Um, I've been betrayed before, deeply. May, have you? By a family member, by a friend, by a coworker, somebody betrayed you? Remember when we first started the church, um, there was a gentleman, which I'll never name a name in that kind of regard, but he was somebody that I loved, somebody that I really liked. And we built this thing called a core team. It was about a, a hundred people at the time, counting kids, children's, uh, uh, adults, uh, men and women. And if stray dogs or cats walked by, we counted them too. So in the beginning, you count anything. So anyway, we're at this core team phase. This is nine and a half plus years ago or whatever. And we are uh, meeting and we're about to launch out on our first Sunday morning at Barry Goldwater High School. Uh, and I got word from one of my staff members that this key leader in our church was spreading uh, lies, gossip, slander, uh, and creating dissension in our church. So I wanted to confront the individual and put an end to it, and uh, he refused to meet with me, but he met with one of my key leaders. One of the key leaders was Frank, a gentleman by the name of Frank Michoni, great godly man, uh, and he now lives in Denver. His wife served as a teacher, and we were starting this church, and Frank told me I'm going to go meet with him, and I'm going to confront him, and I'll give you a report. So Frank meets with him, and this is something something about what he says. He says, how dare you try to spread these rumors for Ryan and his wife uh, to create the dissension and the fallout. The church is about to start its first Sunday morning and you're creating division and dissension already. How could you betray him like that? What you're saying is false. And the guy went on to say the church shouldn't even start. And in fact, we found out he emailed the entire church and spread these lies and rumors about us. So on the first day, of me coming to open up the church on the first Sunday, I remember getting out of my car with a nauseousness inside me, thinking of the betrayal that had already happened and thinking, am I doing what's right? Is this church even going to make it? Is anybody going to show up? Well, the greatest news was, was that we had more people than we could have ever imagined on that first Sunday for that one service. Isn't that good? Let's celebrate that just for a second. 
and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how it was handled. It was handled because a leader stepped up and dealt with it. But when you get betrayed by somebody that you're close to you, that you love or that you like, it hurts deeply. And many times it can immobilize the person to do anything. And so um, what we're going to see here is this deep level of frustration uh, that can set in. Here's what David's going to do. He's literally going to be taken out of the game because he can't do anything because he can't get past his pain. And when pain sets in sometimes because if it's a betrayal by a family member or a friend, sometimes you just want to give up. And somebody needs to come along you and say, come on, you can do it. You got this. Don't give up. So here's what we see. Verse 3, he says this, uh, because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. He's talking about his boy. He's talking about his closest friend, the noise of the enemy. I think oftentimes we get uh, uh, paralyzed oftentimes by the problems, by the noise of the world, and we need to get calm before God. The chatter of the critiques or the criticism. You can see that all over social media. And it doesn't matter what you post, you're going to get some people that support you and people that absolutely hate you. David is overwhelmed and frustrated with the noise of the enemy. In verse 4, he says, My heart is in anguish within me. Deep anxiety, immobilizing anxiety. He says, The terrors of death have fallen upon me. He probably physically and emotionally and mentally is shutting down. His boy is coming to kill him. His best friend is going to help him. He says, verse 5, fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. David, King David doesn't just stay in that first phase of betrayal. He moves into the second phase, which is even worse than the first, and that's the phase of isolation. Look what he says in verse 6. He says, and I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away. In other words, I'd get out of here. If I could just uh, get out of this situation, then I'd leave it. I would just get away. And this isolation is not a a solitude where, like Jesus said, like he got away to reconnect with God. This is just to get away from everybody giving up on people. Some of you have been hurt before, betrayed by a friend, a family member, maybe even a church, and you're just like, I'm going to get out of here. I don't want nothing to do with this. I'm out of here. David feels that and communicates that. He's only human. Uh, Isolation is incredibly dangerous. During quarantine, uh, so many folks were isolated. And uh, it's a real uh, public health concern. If you isolate yourself, it's incredibly dangerous, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. God made you and wired you to be together. David is isolating. And verse 7, he says, yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I relate to this guy. When I, when I feel frustrated, when I'm like, at, I can't deal with it anymore, Man, I reconnect in the wilderness. I like to go off the grid, you know. I, that's, that's what I like to do. And yet I do have a problem of kind of what's going on right now. I don't know if you guys have seen those satellites with Elon Musk and SpaceX and all that stuff. But they're like, they're not UFOs. Those of you who b- still believe in UFOs, uh, they're satellites. And uh, as I understand, the plan is, is global Wi-Fi. Global. So by the time your children are grown up, the entire world 
will be Wi-Fi. Anywhere you go, there will be Wi-Fi. Uh, that's a problem for me because I like the wilderness and I want to disconnect from technology. Uh, and David is there. He just wants to go out into the wilderness. This is very common. When you get in trouble, when something happens, you break away to get, 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 get reconnected with God, appreciate creation, love it, see God as a creator. David is a little bit uh, off though. His isolation is meaning I want no people on the planet. Like he maybe has a depopulation plan. Uh, he moves from this phase of isolation uh, and look what in verse 9, it says this, he moves to retaliation. And by retaliate, uh, verse 9, he ta- he's talking about he wants a military attack from God himself upon his evildoers. Verse 9 says this, destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. A day and night they go around on its walls, and the iniquity and the trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. What he's saying is, God, I want you to strike an air war attack. I want you to take care of this. Everything that they planned against me with their tongues, I want you to overturn it and divide it. But it even gets worse. Watch this retaliation that he talks about here. Verse 15, he says, let death steal over them. In other words, let them die. But then he goes on further, who taunts me, uh, or, or then he says, uh, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Uh, what is Sheol? Uh, Sheol, that, that idea from the Hebrew is hell. Basically what he's saying is, God, I want them to burn in hell alive. Uh, I wouldn't go there if I were you. That's probably not the right prayer, but what we see in Scripture is the honesty and the vulnerability of, of the human heart to want retaliation. Somebody cuts you off. It's normal in your heart that you get frustrated when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you go down, and then you try to cut them off. Uh, road rage is a real deal. It's a retaliation tactic, but it's not right. Uh, David wants to retaliate, and he wants God to do it. He says, for their evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But he doesn't stay in retaliation. He moves to this fourth phase of betrayal. And that that fourth phase is humiliation. Uh, Let's look what humiliation is. Verse 12, we see, he says this, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, and then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, uh, then I could hide from him. What's he talking about? He's talking about he's been betrayed by his son. He's humiliated. Uh, humiliation is something that happens when uh, somebody else does that to you. It's different than, than embarrassment. Humiliation differs from embarrassment, whereas we bring embarrassment upon ourselves. Humiliation is something that is brought upon us by other people. David is humiliated. He's absolutely humiliated. He's the king, and his own son is turned against him. Uh, He's the king, and his trusted advisor is out to get him. And so he's in this last stage, if you will, of, of betrayal where he's absolutely humiliated. Verse 13, look what it says. He clarifies this. Uh, Verse 13, it says, But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house and walked in the throng. In other words, we walked together, we worshiped together, we did things together. You're my trusted friend, my companion, uh, and he's humiliated. 
Uh, it would have been easier if it was an enemy of David, but this is his close friend. And so you may ask, how do you respond uh, when, when you're at that level of pain or hurt, when somebody turns against you? Uh, here's what we are going to learn today, is that when no one else is there for you, then God is there for you. Um, maybe somebody can't be there because they're too far removed. Maybe they're, they live in another state. Maybe they, they just are, are unable because they're too busy to be there for you. There's that feeling of loneliness and question of, is anybody care? Is anybody really there for me? And when it's at its worst is if you have a family member or a friend or somebody that you love or you like turn on you, then you really feel all alone. So when no one else is there, you need to remind yourself that God is there for you. I love what the Psalms 139 says. Uh, the Psalmist David says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts, uh, but there your hand shall lead me and your right hand will uphold me. I was inspired by that passage out of Psalms 139 uh, this last uh, week when I was out in the mountains and I looked up to the mountains and I wrote this message for you. Uh, to encourage you that when no one else seems to be there for you, you can still remember that God is there. I wrote this, God is great and he's able and confident and able to accomplish anything in your life. He is the alpha, he is the omega, he is the beginning and the end. He's the one who is and who was and will always be. He is the El Shaddai, he is God Almighty. He is the Adonai, he is our Lord. He is the ever-present helper. He's the healer. He's the lifter of our souls. And by the way, the soul is immaterial. It's forever. He's the lifter of the soul. So when you feel like no one's there, listen to me, friends. God is. God is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. He is the everlasting father. Today, he says, I'm with you. I've always been with you from before you were formed in your mother's womb. I was there before you took your first breath. I was there before you learned to walk. I was there before you learned to talk. I was there. I've always been there. On the best days of your life and the worst days of your life, the Lord says, I'm there. When you rise in the morning and when you rest your head at night, he says, I'm there. He says, for I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've set you apart for my plans, my purposes. I've anointed you. I've appointed you. To be a bold witness in the world. I am the lion by your side. I am the wind beneath your wings. So you have nothing to fear. So please be strong and courageous. And know that I'm with you to the end of this age. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. My question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that when no one else is there for you that God is? Seems like we all know that when we're at the very end. When we're at our lowest low, that's when we say, I know you're here. Humility. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives extra grace to the humble. The man who experienced God and saw him in, in all his glory in a sense was Moses. And the Bible says that he was one of the most humble people that ever walked the earth. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you've been through. But I do know life is not easy all the time and there's hardship. But I do know that God is good and the Christian life is the best life. Amen? It really is. 
And we have to constantly uh, challenge ourselves to have an optimistic outlook and to see the good in the midst of tough situations. And what I want to encourage you to do is know what to do when you do feel like no one is there. There may be moments in your day when you feel like you're just kind of trudging through life and you're, maybe it's at work in your cubicle or your workspace or wherever your, your platform is in which you're working at home or at the coffee shop and you're like, you feel all the people around you, but you still feel alone. And maybe you feel like nobody else knows your struggle or your issue that you're dealing with. So what do you do? Here's what I would say. There's three things that David did that I think were really, really good when no one else was there. Number one, that's to call on God. The first thing you can do in your life is you can call on God. You can call on Him anytime, anyplace, anywhere. You can, you can call on him on your car ride. Lord, I need you right now in my life. I need you to show up in my, my life. I feel empty on the inside. I need you to fill me up right now. I feel like everybody's against me. I think they feel like things are going wrong all around me. I'm not where I wanted to be. I wanted to be so much further in life, but I'm not quite there. You're calling on God. That's what David did. It says in, in verse uh, 16, he says, but I, I'll call on the Lord. Call on the Lord. You know, uh, in times that what we do is we can call on something else. We can call on ourselves. We can call on somebody. But that somebody just may not be there. That somebody may not have the right response that you just want. And you're calling on yourself all the time. You're also uh, limited. But you're calling on God. You're connecting creation, you, with the Creator. That's where you want to call on. You want to call on a power on high. You want to call on the, the all-powerful for the one who is limited in power. And so you call on God. That's a great thing to do. We can easily go find and do the Google search. I've heard people say before, they just try to self-counsel themselves and they're Googling uh, how to deal with the issues that they're dealing with. The first thing we should always do is call on God. Some of us have like a, a calling on God, like 911. Like when we hit the emergency, we call on God. Well, good. I'm glad you did. But God is far more than 911. You can call on Him in any time of your life for wisdom and understanding on how to lead your family, how to lead your business, how to deal with this problem, how to deal with this situation. You call on God. Secondly, I would challenge you is what do you do to get the soul moving in the right direction? That soul train kind of thing, what you got to do is you got to worship in the wait. Because not every time in life things are going to happen like you want. It's not going to download immediately the way you want your plans to work out. There's going to be some buffering, there's going to be some waiting. I remember hearing a story recently of somebody that was waiting on their family member to get out of the ER. And they're waiting for the news to hear. What's the result? And in moments like that, what we need more than anything is we worship in the wait. We're not where we want to be, but we can still worship in the wait. Sometimes, some of y'all need to just worship in the wait, and you've been in the wait a very long time. You're wanting your ship to sail in. You're wanting everything to happen. And God is not against you. God is with you and for you, for all those of you that have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. But what he wants is you to worship in your wait. Whatever you're waiting on, the positive health report, 
the enemies behind you, to get behind you. You want your job to work out better. You want your family to be better. You worship in the weight. Uh, I'm reminded of eternity oftentimes when I get discouraged and I see the problems and the challenges of the earthly world. I've got to remind myself of the eternity. Man, it's good. We got eternity with God. We got eternity uh, of a new life and a new hope and a new vision. And this life supposedly, as the scripture says, and I believe it, it's just like a blip on the radar. So you worship in the weight. The psalmist David says that. He says, he redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. There's many against me, but God, you'll give ear to my humble request. You'll be there for me. You got to learn how to worship in the weight. When no one's there, God is, so you can worship in the way. Thank you, God, that you're my ever-present helper. Thank you, God, that you're my wonderful counselor. Thank you, God, that you are the almighty God. Thank you, God, that you always are for me and never against me. Thank you, God. Amen. That's the kind of self-talk you have to have with yourself to, I say it, sass your soul to get your, your head in line with where it ought to be. When there's no one there, there's still God. God is always there. Go to the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look off and you see the power of all of creation. God is there. When you get the phone call or the text message of somebody that's come against you and hurt you, God is right there. I remember thinking a long time ago as an outdoor enthusiast that if I could just get away to the highest mountain and stand on those mountaintops, then I would meet God. And then you know what I found out? I could find God more on the floors of my room just praying. You don't have to go to the highest mountain. You don't have to have the wild success in order to find God. He's right there with you. He's always been there with you. And so you worship in the wait, no matter what you're waiting on. David was waiting on resolution. He was waiting on perhaps a retaliation. He was waiting on to be justified for all the wrong that's been done to him. He's waiting, but he's going to worship in the wait. God, you're good. God, you're sovereign. God, you're in control. I can't change this situation all by myself. I need your help. I worship it in the weight. Number three, I would just challenge you. You cast it. You don't carry it. Whatever your burden is, whatever your challenge is, you cast it. I like to fish sometimes. I, let me re-say re that. I like to catch things. I don't like to fish. I went out with, uh, no kidding, seriously, I was out in uh, Miami one time and uh, we went on this fishing trip or, and I happened to get a guide, it was really cool, and uh, I said to the guide, I said, so tell me a little bit about you. He said, well, last night I had Kid Rock and Hank Williams Jr., we were out fishing, we were catching tons of fish. I was like, man, that sounds cool, man, I can't believe it, Kid Rock, Hank Williams, this is going to be a crazy guide, all right? So we get in the boat and I tell the guy, I said, hey, look, man, I'm being like the nice pastor guy. I'm like, hey, man, just so you know, if we don't catch anything, it's okay. I just, I just like to fish. And he goes, shut up. I can see you lying. You like to catch and kill, don't you? I'm like, you nailed me, man. I do. I like to catch. Um, one of the things I learned with fishing is you've really got to cast it out there. You've got to get it way out there sometimes. I think the Christian life is like this. Sometimes you've got problems that you're holding on to so tightly. And the Lord's saying, I wanted you to cast those away. Like, that's what my word says. It doesn't say carry your burdens. It doesn't say kind of hold on to them. Just cast it. 
See, the psalmist said that, and then the apostle Peter picked up on that Hebrew literature, and then this is what he says. He says, I want you to cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What Peter's saying is, hey, listen, man, all that anxiety that you carry, all that frustration, all that pain, you got to cast it on him. Jesus said it like this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you, help me finish it, rest. See, when we're rested with the Lord, then we're blessed with the Lord. But I get it. The world is filled with anxiousness. And when you hang out with other anxious people, you get more anxious. Who you need to hang out with is the most peaceful people. If you're struggling with something, you, get, you see what God's doing in the life of somebody else that maybe has got some victory in that area, and then that's where you walk and you hang out with them. But the most important person you should hang out with is the Lord. In the Lord, there's freedom. In the Lord, there's peace. In the Lord, there's a release of that burden. And so the scripture challenges us. We got to cast those anxieties, cast those burdens, cast them on the Lord. Don't carry them. I've been a backpacking guide uh, in years past, and I would carry a heavy backpack. And sometimes what I would do to help the students out and uh, help the young people out, I'd carry their load for them. But I realized I'm only limited in power and strength and can't carry too much. And so I'll close with telling you a story. Um, I came to faith in Christ at 18 years old. I was in Buena Vista, Colorado. I'm going back there in a couple of weeks. I'm excited. Uh, it'll be the first time uh, to visit my, uh, my son who's been gone for 65 days in Philmont. I'm going to see my daughter. I haven't seen her in a month. I'm going to see my mom and my dad and I haven't seen in several, several months. We're going to have a reunion in Buena Vista, Colorado. It's where I came to faith in Christ out in the San Isabel National Forest. Looked up at the stars and said, I'm nothing compared to you. Turn my life over to you. So I came to faith in Christ, 18 years old. About a year later, after my freshman year in college, I got hired as an outdoor guide out in, uh, out in uh, Buena Vista, uh, Colorado, a company called Noah's Ark Whitewater Rafting. It was 100 uh, guides that were working with them. I was one of 100, and man, it was hard to get in there because they thought, we're taking a chance with you. They nicknamed me Arkansas. I was the only Arkansan that ever worked there uh, for years. And then finally, a whole flood and slew of Arkansans came up there and that, you know, they made it great. So here we go. I'm, I'm going to Colorado. I'm just out of my freshman year in college. I had an estranged relationship with my dad because I was such a rebel rouser. Uh, I come to faith in Christ, reconcile with my dad, and he says, hey, I'm proud of you. I want to take that trip with you to Colorado. I hope you get settled. Jump in the truck. We drive out to Colorado. Uh, he gets me situated, and he says, I'm proud of you. I want you to have a great summer. Need to go back to the airport. Drove him down to Colorado Springs, uh, put him on an airplane. He flew out of there, and the sun started to set. And this is what I heard from the Lord. It's okay to be sad. Your father's leaving. Even though you didn't have the best life with your dad, I'm your heavenly father. I'm with you. Even though you don't know anybody out here, I'm with you. I've always been with you. Even when you were running away far from me, I was with you. Even when things are going great, I was with you on that car ride with your dad, and now that your dad's gone, now you'll know I'm your heavenly father even more. Sometimes you need to be reminded, friends, when no one else is there for you, God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would realize the powerful truth that you've always been there. You're the great, almighty, everlasting father. 
everlasting. So Father, uh, we come before you right now and ask for help, healing, strength, courage, uh, Lord, ambition and intensity to live the life that you've called us to live. We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, hey, I want you to check this out. Hey, North Valley, my name is Ryan Hunt. Happy Father's Day. I'm really good friends with Ryan and Josh. And Josh had asked me to, to share one of my songs with you and to just share a brief backstory to it. The song is called Timing Like Gun. And in my hand, I'm holding uh, an old timing light. And if you're from the South, you would call this a timing gun. So no, it's not a Star Wars phaser, you know, pew pew. It's not, that's not what it's for. Uh, you know, you, you pop the hood, you plug this thing up to the battery, and you aim this thing at the motor, at, at the master balancer there, and, and it flashes, and it helps you calibrate the timing of the engine. And um, it got me thinking, you know, looking at this thing, thinking about our lives, like sometimes things aren't right. Sometimes things aren't running correctly. There's, there's grief or loss or brokenness in our lives, and, and we don't know what to do with that. And as a guy, it's uncomfortable being vulnerable. It's, it's even scary sometimes. And you think about an engine that's not running right. You have to do the work. You have to pop the hood and get in there and do the work. And so basically, that's what the song's about. It's about us being willing to be vulnerable and do the work to, to, to find healing in our lives. The Bible tells us to cast our cares on the Lord. It also tells us to not forsake the gathering of ourselves, encouraging one another. And so this idea of, of being vulnerable before the Lord and each other and saying, hey, you know what? Like, I need some help in this area. And uh, I hope you enjoy the song. Standing was an angry man been dead ten years, but he still hears him. He passed down her like a family jewel with a broken down truck and a box of tools. With a broken down truck and a box of tools. That old truck, it ain't ran in years He can't pop the hood without pushing back tears The two-tone collar still has its sheen With a broken down truck, he'll never be free With a broken down truck, he'll never be free oh. Turned over in a time sparked right. A timing light, some call a gun, can make an engine run right or a grown man run. Can make an engine run right or a grown man run.
daddy still make amends? Can daddy's little boy let go of him? With the parking brake on, he'll never know. It's time to take it on down the road It's time to take it on down the road oh, 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 oh. Take it down the road It's the only way you'll know It's got a little grinding third, but it runs real good. He got the truck running when his daddy never could. Heavenly Father, we come before you again right now in this moment, and we just thank you that you are the ever-present good Father in our lives. And Father, where there's hurt, might you bring healing. Uh, where there's question and doubt might you bring clarity and confidence and so we invite you holy spirit even now to help fill those spaces and places that are needing strength and we pray that we do this through worship and through serving and living for you in jesus name amen amen well hey uh, before we jump into some more worship i just want to take a moment uh, as a lead pastor and founder of the church to just say thank you uh, man, we made it through COVID-19. Today was the first uh, time that we offered all the services without masks, and things are moving forward. And I saw a report on our giving, and our giving's been strong and stable. And so I'm really thankful for that. And looking back over the season that we've come out of, it's really good to see how strong the church has been. So can I say thank you for being a strong church for a moment? Can we say that together? Uh, so here we are, and I want to say thank you again for all of our, our, those that give financially to the church. If this is your first time here or church is not your home yet, don't feel any obligation to give. We actually have a real special gift to give you today before you leave, so I want to encourage you to check that out. And then those of you that do partner with us in giving, uh, I want to give you an update and let you know that, uh, Lord willing, pray with me. Uh, hopefully you got my email recently, but that we can finish out the last and the largest existing building on our campus before the year is up. So we're hoping to do that and ask that you stay faithful to your commitment towards the campus development funds, those of you that have given towards that area. And I had a lady come up to me right after the second service and said, hey, Pastor Ryan, this is my church home. Uh, where, do you, where should I give? There's like so many options. And I told her, just give to the general fund. That's where you give first. And then from there, you can give anywhere you want. Um, so there's giving boxes in the back, and you can give online like my wife and I do, so that when we're out of town, we, we want to make sure ministry is still happening. And so we automate whatever is important, and so many of you do too. So would you stand, and we're going to worship together. It's been great being with you. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.